You're listening to Wild Women on KZYX, an intersectional feminist-focused radio show. I'm your host, Lux karpov Kinraid, USA Today bestselling author, screenwriter, director, and voiceover actor. This weekend marks the one-year anniversary of this show. In past shows, we've talked about heavy issues such as the war in Ukraine and abortionist health care. You can find past shows on the KZYX podcast. For the last show of the year, I wanted to bring a little more magic to this episode, which is why I'm so excited that the incredibly magical artist, Miss Wondersmith, was able to join us to discuss her unique approach to art and life, creating through chronic illness, and how we might all learn something from the slow introspection of the winter months. Also, as a side note, I, like so many of us, am sick with the flu, which is why I sound like this, but I wasn't sick when I recorded this interview. However, I did have in mind this show would air on New Year's Eve, so if I make reference to that, please excuse me. I had the dates mixed up in my head. Tonight is not, in fact, New Year's Eve. It is, though, my husband's birthday. So happy birthday, Dimitri. You bring magic to our lives every day, and I'm so grateful. And the music you're listening to in this episode is called Midnight Star, and it was composed and produced by my husband, Dimitri karpov I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to Wild Women with Lux karpov Kinraid. I'm here today with Miss Wondersmith, who is truly wonderful. I know that's a little bit corny, but I have her here today as a guest. And I was honestly just so thrilled when you accepted the invitation to my uh, to my show. Um, I wasn't sure you would, uh, and because I know you're very busy. And so thank you so much for being here and joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited <clears throat> to be here. So Ms. Wondersmith, she's an artist, she's a creator, she I'll let her explain more about what she does. But um, I've been following your posts for um, a very long time now. I've gotten a lot of inspiration from the different art you create. And I wanted you on the show tonight because I thought that your inspiration, your vision, the way that you create is so inspiring and so beautiful. And it felt like a fun, uplifting kind of uh, discussion to have on a New Year's Eve. So do you want to tell us some about... Well, one, your name, Miss Wonder Smith, if you want to share where that came from. Sure. Yeah. So I was um, trying to figure out how to succinctly tell people what I do because I happen to work in a variety of media um, from ceramics to glass blowing to food art and foraging. And so when someone asked, Oh, what do you do? And I replied, Oh, I'm a glass blower. That just it didn't encompass all that I do and why I do it. And I feel like people would come with their own expectations of what that meant. So if I said I was an artist, they would assume I was a painter. Um, if I said I was a ceramic artist, they would assume that I like threw on the wheel and just made cups. So I wanted a description that was more accurate to specifically what I do that would open the door to discussion rather than kind of close it with those assumptions. Hmm. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine who was working at a brewery and um, on his his business card said party alchemist. He was the delivery driver for the brewery. And I was oh, that's like, fantastic. Oh <laughs> I want something like that. I want something that's like, you know, evocative and interesting and kind of playful. So I started thinking about what is the core of what I do? Like, what are the threads that tie it all together? 
And the thread that ties everything I do together is wonder. So I adopted the name Miss Wondersmith because I wanted to be able to have those conversations where if someone asked, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a Wondersmith. Then, you know, that they would follow up with like, what does that mean? And I would be able to describe, you know, what my passion was, what my motivation was, and then how I brought that to life. And it just became such a better way to kind of open that door of curiosity with people. And um, I've loved using that as my name and as my job description ever since. <laughs> I uh, That's amazing. I think that's so lovely. And I think especially in... You know, in a, in a kind of a time of social media where everything is so niched down to the most specific thing, it's hard, I think, as creators to live or to re- like to fully reflect kind of the abundance of what we do when everyone wants things to be very specific. T- and so your name really kind of evokes this sense of playfulness and wonder and and openness to not just one niche, but so many. And you've really built an incredible well, life, career, but also social media presence with Miss Wondersmith, it seems. Yeah, I feel like it's it's given me permission to kind of go in a lot of different directions that are all unified under my goal of sharing wonder. Um, it's so true. And I've thought many times in the past, like, Uh, I really should just focus on my ceramics and only do that and only do production of this design because people really like it. And then I thought, you know, that's so limiting. I, I really love being able to work in different mediums and to learn something from one medium and apply it to another. You would not believe how much crossover there is between ceramics and cooking. It's, Mm. it's, really fascinating. And I think that being able to say, you know, I'm a multimedia artist, but the the biggest thing that I work with that inspires what I do is a sense of wonder, is, you know, attention to the little details in nature that fill me with awe that I want to share. And I'm really glad that that has come across well in you know, what I do through my work and through social media, because I really wanted to see more people like me, you know, creating in a way that, you know, you always recognize their artwork, but it doesn't matter what medium they're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a really natural way for artists to create. And um, this expectation that we niche down and like only produce one thing that is high demand and that we're good at is so limiting for a creative person or for any person. So it is. I'm kind of facing that right now in my own career because I'm a novelist and I've written over 50 books and really niched down to vampire romance. That was what sold. That's what made us kind of famous. And, and it's gotten to the point after 10, 13 years of doing that, where like, I'm really a storyteller at heart. I'm, I'm, I've directed and produced a few movies, short films, and I'm working on some other movies and I'm working on audio drama and I'm struggling with social media and how to like 
transition my work from this like very specific niche writing of vampire romances because even when I tried to write other kind of paranormal romances they just weren't as successful as vampires and it's like it's so specific of a niche that I just I like like it and it's fun and I've loved the books I've done but I'm ready to go you know move forward with different projects and it's hard to figure out how to brand yourself and how to market yourself on these really important platforms that are so critical to our success as artists. And it is hard in that there is a ridiculous amount of pressure to stick to one thing. Um, and I guess I've just never been very good at, um, <laughs> at doing that. I haven't either. You've been very good though at, I think, showing up authentically that you can do all the things and you're still making it work. And that's what I'm trying to kind of learn from you on the side, by the way. You're like my master class in authentically <laughs> showing up wherever we're at in our life with our creative process and just sharing it with the world. I think that's something you've really gifted a lot of people with. Um, and I, you do so many different kinds of art but one of the things that i wanted to talk about today because i am in love are the the fairy picnics the surprise can you talk a little you know what i'm talking about right can you talk a yeah. little bit about those um surprise picnics you've done in the past yeah um so i refer to them as fairy tale gatherings yes because that's just the best description i could come up with for those <laughs> um and Let's see, how far back do you want to go? Do you want to go to like the very beginning? Or? I mean, I would love to know how you started them. And just like um, talk a little bit what they are for the people who've never, you know, interacted with your work before. Yeah, so I went to art school and was majoring in glass blowing, And I was really interested in making functional pieces that were really detailed and tactile, like a glass bowl with barnacles all over the outside that you would use to serve chowder, you know, something that tied the food to the environment. But I realized through doing that, that I was actually more interested in the interactions between people and in creating these immersive gatherings where I would design all of the serving ware, all of the food, the setting, and try to make it this like magical immersive experience. So eventually my chronic illness got too severe and I had to drop out of school. But as I started to get back on my feet, I started to do these, these gatherings commercially where I'd sell tickets. And after one huge one the biggest one I ever did it was like 50 guests wow that's I like hosting a wedding the way you do I mean you're making things from scratch it's like bigger than hosting a wedding because I mean, when, when you say when you say you design you're you're talking you literally made handmade yes. every literally. piece of dish that is used every cup every serving bowl every piece of food that's made is made from scratch forged often from mm -hmm local like that is intense it was so much work i mean it was it was like nine months of work to wow. create this thing um yeah multiple plates per person and um a ton of foraged food i was collaborating with a winemaker his name's nicholas keeler um and he makes excellent wine by the way um but we decided we wanted <clears throat> to tell the story the geologic history of the Willamette Valley. So the idea was that um, I would explore sort of the, 
the history through the different courses. So I might have one course that was dedicated to the volcanoes and the igneous rocks, and then one course that was dedicated to the water erosion, and then, wow. um, and so on and so forth, because um, I was really fascinated by the concept of terroir, which is a term used a lot in winemaking um, that essentially means everything that gives the wine its particular flavor, mm-hmm. which can include climate, geography, um, you know, the location of the winery. Is it on a hill? That kind of thing. Um, the geologic history of the area. Um, but as well, you know, the the kind of grapes, the traditions that the winemaker follows, all of that is what creates the flavor in that bottle of wine. And so I really loved the idea of telling this very like deep reaching literal story of why his wine tastes the way it does. So I was working with him. We were doing a lot of like wine tasting to pair with wild foods. And he was really fun to work with. He was very curious and playful with, um, with experimenting with different foods as well. So that was a really joyful collaboration. But the the actual event was very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we had to sell tickets for a pretty high price just to cover nine months of work. I mean, I wasn't even paying myself. It was like purely just for... Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a movie maker, I totally understand. <laughs> different 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 medium but very similar like time commitment you don't get paid yourself (laughs) exactly yeah i think i made maybe a hundred dollars off of this Um, oh gosh but um but you know selling tickets for a high price meant that we were only attracting a certain crowd of people Mm -hmm. um and you know I, I was a little sad because I wanted to be able to share my work with like my peers and none of my peers would ever be able to afford that. I certainly <laughs> couldn't afford that at the time. Like, that was way out of reach for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the guests arrived and I really, I felt like a lot of them were there to be able to brag about having been there rather than actually get into the spirit of this immersive gathering Mm -hmm. that I'd created. And I also felt a lot of pressure um, around the food. You know, I'm not a classic, I'm not a trained chef at all. I'm completely self-taught. That's so shocking. If I could just pause because I've seen pictures of your food that you foraged and then made, and it looks like magic meets art that you can consume. Thank you. So sorry to interrupt, but I just had to. (laughs) I felt so much pressure with the, with the food because I, I'm a self-trained chef and, you know, I am very like experimental and playful and I work with forged ingredients and I was proud of what I made, but having a, you know, a, a large ticket price on the gathering, just, it just was like a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the worst part though, for me was that as a young woman, I was not taken seriously at all. Um, mm. The guests kept referring to me as a waitress. Um, <laughs> oh, they kept congratulating the guy that I collaborated <clears throat> with and telling him how brilliant he was. And thankfully, he was really, really wonderful about like giving me credit and saying, no, actually, I just provided the wine. This was all her creating. 
but they kind of would just like roll their eyes and be like, we know you did it. And so I left that night feeling oh my God. Like, like I was a commodity. Like, mm. like my artwork was a commodity. Like I was a commodity. Like it just felt icky. And I got really depressed and frustrated and kind of sunk into this, like, what am I doing with my life? And then um, I just had this, like, I don't even care moment. And I and I was like, you know what? I'm going to host a gathering for free. And I am going to invite people how I want to invite them, which is by hiding invitations in the woods. And I'm just going to create a magical <laughs> gathering. <laughs> and it was this like rebellion of like, no, I am not going to be commercial about this. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to have fun. This is going to be about play. So I got some artificial ferns. I painted them purple and I wrote a mysterious invitation from a character called Lady Fern. And I put them out along my favorite hiking trail in like clusters of real ferns because I wanted the people at my table to be curious. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to be the kind of people who see a purple fern and are like, what the heck is that doing there? Why is that fern purple? I'm going to go investigate that. And who then after reading the invitation would be like, this sounds like an adventure. I want to, I want to, I want to go. And to make my guests feel safer, you know, I allowed them to bring a friend. I made a website that they could RSVP through that had some information about what to expect. Because, you know, accepting an, an invitation yeah. from a fern. <laughs> and I was nervous, too. I wasn't really sure what to expect. But I, used- I would absolutely take a fern and follow the instructions. I would 100%. <laughs> I would follow the rabbit. I would do it all. <laughs> <laughs> I'd walk down, the, I'd walk through the door into Narnia and never come back. <laughs> That's, that was what I was hoping. Those were the people that I was hoping to attract. So, and you did. You, you did, I did, right? Like, yeah, I, people found um, your ferns. People found the ferns. The night of the event, I was so like giddy and excited. And I put on makeup that kind of was reminiscent of a mask because I wanted to kind of step into being this character of Lady Fern. And yeah, I, in addition to all of the things you do, just to interrupt you a moment, you mm-hmm. also do amazing, I don't know if you would call it cosplay or fantasy makeup or like, but you transform into magical woodland creatures. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> that is just incredible. <laughs> new uh, hyper fixation of mine. <laughs> I just wanted to inter- interject that because I want people to really like visualize this whole experience, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I was dressed up with this crazy purple makeup and a, and a flower crown of ferns. I had foraged all of the ingredients for dinner myself. So we were having, there were like fiddlehead ferns and nettle ravioli and um, wild blueberry and um, violet cheesecake lots of um like purples and greens and i i just wanted it to tie into the woods that i loved so much and to get a sense of like what would a fairy eat obviously would look, <laughs> um but in like weird purple colors of course and um decorated i did it in my backyard which i i don't do now <laughs> right but, in my in where I was living at the time, I hung up these like seed pods that I'd crystallized, so they were all sparkling and fairy lights. And the event was just it was 
like a different world. I mean, it was, mm. it was so drastically different than that commercial event had been. It was this like, this incredible gathering of people. Um, I had people of all ages. There were, there were like people who were in their twenties. Like I was at the time, there were um, young families with children. There were retirees and just kind of, this beautiful like congregation from all walks of life, but everyone came dressed to the nines in their like purple attire, which I had requested. On oh, I love it. And um, the interactions between my guests were also totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, here they were, they, they had shown up. Everyone was a stranger to each other. And they immediately started bonding over like, where did you find your invitation? <laughs> and you found it. What made you decide to come? Like there was already this like amazing point of connection. They were the only ones having this experience. It was totally unique and magical and strange. And so they started to bond and become this like little community very quickly. And I was more of an onlooker than a participant in that first event because I was so busy making the food as the as the evening went by. Um, something I learned as I did more of these kind of gatherings was that I wanted to play a more present role. But in this one, I was kind of in the background a little bit more, uh, which allowed me to just watch and Uh, One of the funniest things that I noticed was that the adults were completely wonderstruck. I mean, they were like, we're at a fairy feast. This is crazy. (laughs) But the little kids, like there were some like four to six year old little girls that came. They were just kind of matter of fact about it. They're like, this is is what life is like. What are you talking about? (laughs) A dinner hosted by a fairy, guys. (laughs) up. (laughs) And that just made me like, that just tickled me pink because it was so it was so hilarious that it was the adults that were acting like wonderstruck children and the children that were like of course of course we're doing this what's weird um Uh, when do we lose that wonder when does when did did the world stop feeling so magical that even the most magical feels like of course this is this is life well i i kind of have a, a different view on it i think that that kids are just so good at finding and creating wonder for themselves that it's sort of a natural state to be in. So it's like the kids weren't experiencing the surprise factor that the adults were because they, you know, they lived in that world already. And that's why when people ask like, why don't you do events just for children? I'm like, kids don't need it. They, they don't <laughs> do this. It's They're the already doing it for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's the adults that need that guiding hand of finding and celebrating wonder. So anyways, after that event, you know, I I bid my guests goodbye, sent them home with like some little mementos of the gathering. And I just sat on my back porch and cried because Mm -hmm. it just felt so like heart filling. And I was just sitting there under these like sparkling fairy lights. Just I felt like I was glowing and then this determination set in like this is what I want to do this is what I want to do um 
And so it, it took some took a while to figure out how to fund it. But I eventually launched a Patreon page, mm-hmm. which um, for anyone who's unfamiliar, it's a crowdfunding platform that allows you to contribute a set amount per month. You know, you can contribute a dollar a month, five dollars a month. I have patrons that contribute a hundred dollars a month. And um, I was really like shocked that there were people that were contributing, even though I made it very clear that being a patron did not guarantee access to any of those events. Um, I, I wanted to keep that very specific that the only way to attend one of these gatherings was to be in the right place at the right time and that they were only happening in the Pacific Northwest because that's my home. Mm-hmm. And I was getting patrons from Australia and, and New Zealand and Europe. And I was like, what are these guys getting from this? Like, there's no way that they're ever going to attend one of my gatherings. They're not going to stumble across an invitation in Australia. Um, But the feedback that I got from them was that just simply knowing that someone was creating this kind of magic was inspiring and exciting to them enough so that they wanted to support it. And that's that has been my business structure ever since. Um, The way that I create and share wonder has changed over the years with my health condition getting worse with the pandemic you know, imposing major restrictions. Huh. On yeah. Lots of things have changed, but something that hasn't changed is that, that mutual trust, that trust that if I continue putting wonder out in the world in whatever way feels accessible and authentic to me, it will come back to me through Patreon or other ways and I will get by. And that is just, you know, living in a capitalist society, being able to sort of have created this gift economy bubble feels absolutely wonderful. You're listening to Wild Women with Lux Karpov Kinraid, your host. And I'm speaking with Miss Wondersmith about her wonder-filled... I don't even want to call it a career, your wonderful life and the way that you've shared yourself and your art with people worldwide because of the internet and your local community because of your just magical, wonderful events. So we're still talking with Miss Wondersmith. We grow up and we lose this ability to believe in magic or believe in fairy tales or we're told that we shouldn't. And it was just kind of an epiphany for me that I realized like, well, I can just, I can just be the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. I can just do that. Uh, Who's stopping me? Who makes these rules? The rules are gone. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, cause I had always like dreamed of like stumbling into a forest, like Mirkwood in the, um, is it in the Hobbit? I think it's in the Hobbit. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyways, I had always dreamed of like stumbling into Mirkwood in The Hobbit and like coming across these fairies feasting in this magical wood or just finding an invitation to a ball hidden somewhere, you know, in like the crook of a tree. And, um, you know, I, I spent so many years of my life wishing to believe in that. 
And then when I realized that I could just create that, my life became so much more magical because the magic goes both ways. I mean, I'm doing these gatherings and putting magic out for other people, but I'm benefiting from it too. I mean, I get to be part I get to be part of the adventure. And I think it's maybe almost even more fun to be on my side of it, you know, plotting away and planning and being able to watch the whole thing unfold like a fairy tale, like a storybook. Because not only do I get to watch it unfold, I also can't predict how it's going to unfold. Mm -hmm. You know, I can set the scene, I can set the table, I can invite the guests, but I never know exactly how they're going to react. And it is so much fun to see a table of kind of stiff, nervous people turn into like, five-year-olds that are just so wonderstruck that they're acting like little kids. It's incredibly rewarding. And um, I feel so, so lucky that that gets to be my career. I feel like I'm cheating the system. (laughs) I feel like I'm getting away with something all the time. Uh, I mean, I think what it is, is you're providing a most necessary ingredient that most people are missing in their life. And that's really valuable. And that's what, you know, modern capitalism doesn't value, but that we still have these uh, spaces for. And so I, it's it's cool that like, oh, and so share every, with everyone, if you will, um, if you don't mind, how people can find you on Patreon and social media so they can support yeah. you and experience your amazing work. So Patreon is just uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Miss Wondersmith. Um, I'm also Miss Wondersmith on Instagram, TikTok, and then on Facebook, I'm The Wondersmith um, at misswondersmith.com. So Perfect. lots of different ways that you can follow along and experience some of the magic. So you said your work has evolved over the years as your health has changed and as just as COVID hit and all of that. What has that looked like for you, if you don't mind sharing, and how has your art or your way of approaching your art changed during all of this? Well, when, whenever I'm facing a change such as, Oh my gosh, there's a giant pandemic. It is not safe to host gatherings right now. Um, I start to ask questions like, what am I craving? What are other people craving? What can I provide? How can I provide that? So in the early days of the pandemic, when everyone was on lockdown, um, I put most of my energy into creating a series of challenges um, for my patrons that we called bunker games. So we had like video chats where we would show what we had created and I would give prizes and award points and eventually announced the winner of bunker games and had a piece of handmade art that was the prize. And I actually don't even remember what it what it was now. Um, That's so fun. But yeah, I just wanted, I, I was craving community um, and I knew other people were too and, and distraction and kind of coming back, being more in tune with yourself, with the natural world. So the challenges tended to reflect that, you know, things like create a self-portrait mask or um, create a dish that includes one foraged ingredient or something along those lines. Um, Since then, I've been focusing quite a bit on writing and recipe development um, and sharing that via my blog. 
And in the last year or so, I've been keeping a lot of it under wraps because I'm working on a cookbook that I'm hoping to get published. I'm starting a new chapter and I can't talk too much about it yet because it's kind of a secret. But I will say that hidden treasure, treasure hunts and buried treasure have been very much on my mind in the last six months. Um, And that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something that's been filling my life a lot lately. It just and what you're doing just gives that like sense of that child, that childhood wonder of everything is a story. Everything is a is a is an adventure. And that's, I mean, I love that reaction so much because whenever I'm wondering, like, what should I do next? That's where I go. I go back to childhood and I think, what, what is like, how can I harness that nostalgia? How can I harness that joy and wonder and innocence of that, that we all like hold on to, but kind of lose connection to. Mm -hmm. And so I love it when people like say that. Uh, my work reminds them of like this specific experience or this memory or this person that that's really meaningful to me. So thank you for sharing that. I want to encourage everyone who's listening to check out Miss Wondersmith's um, Instagram or TikTok or wherever you prefer and her website and Patreon because these food pictures, like you're not just a, a chef or a forager, you're also a photographer because your food, your pictures are gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Every picture, I just want to crawl into it. It looks so mad, mad, majestic. And your food often, you often create food that looks like other things. What does that process look like for you as you're thinking of, I want to create a new recipe? Um, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I think that it, you know, it's just, I want to create things that evoke that sense of wonder, you know, that like, Mm -hmm. oh, here's a pretty, a pretty rock, but you can eat it. And it tastes really good. And it tastes, it reminds you of like the area where I found the rock that inspired me. Mm. Um, And I just, I think of eating as a totally multi-sensory immersive experience where I want to involve all the senses, not just taste and smell, but I want to create sort of surprises and layers of exploration along the way and being able to make food that looks like something else. You know, I carry out like an ancient looking book and then surprise, it's a cheesecake. That's just, you know, that's, that's amazing. Surprise, <laughs> I think, is very directly tied to the experience of wonder. Inspiration flows all directions for me. Like sometimes I will be inspired by a sea urchin or something, and I will want to make a ceramic tea set that you know looks like a sea urchin. And then I'll be like, what if I made little little cakes that also looked like sea urchins? And what if I flavored them with elderflowers? Because when I was at the coast last time looking at sea urchin skeletons, elderflowers were blooming. And what if I talked about that experience of being in this liminal zone between land and sea and spring and summer and, um, you know, that, that like incredible magic of tide pools and fairy realms all colliding. And so everything 
like there's all these, I kind of visualize it as all these little silver threads connecting everything to each other. Um, I think my life is just kind of overlaid with those fairy tales and each, each thing I create is another chapter maybe, or another paragraph. It's just that some of the paragraphs happen to look like ceramic teapots and um, some of them happen to look like tea cakes and some of them happen to look like written words. <laughs> You're listening to Wild Women on KZYX.org. I am your host, Lux karpov Raid, and tonight we are speaking with Miss Wondersmith, an artist who dabbles in wonder with all that she creates. And right now we're talking about her edible creations and some of the limitations that come with her chronic health that she works around as she creates the most magnificent and wonder-inspired art. Part of your chronic health condition has meant that you've not been able to actually eat food in some time. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since I've been able to eat anything. I have a line that goes into my jugular vein and I get my nutrition through that, which sounds kind of it's kind of cool, you know, <laughs> but I do miss eating, yeah, um, especially as a foodie who loves to cook and yeah, create recipes. And, and every now and then I'll get really sad about not being able to eat cheese. Um, <laughs> that's usually the trigger for me. <laughs> I understand that. I, I listen. My love of cheese is well known. <laughs> <laughs> but something that's really been a pleasant surprise is how much pleasure I still find in creating food, even though I can't eat it. Um, you know, I love the the sensory experience of cooking. I love being able to go and forage ingredients out in the woods and to be immersed in nature. I love like the smell of basil when you're chopping it, um, the sound, you know, the nice crunches of chopping ingredients, the sizzle, and then being able to present it to my loved ones and see them enjoy it is it's really an enjoyable experience for me. I thought that when I lost the ability to eat that I was going to lose my joy for cooking and it, it hasn't, it's absolutely remained. And, um, it's changed a little bit in that the recipes have become a little bit simpler because I don't have the physical energy to spend as much time on my feet in the kitchen. But, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, my relationship with food and creating, it's still a source of wonder and joy and pleasure. I think of it as another media in which I express myself. And, um, you know, the the look of it, the smell of it, those things are really important. And so much of taste is smell. So I found that I'm actually still pretty good with flavor because Mm. I, my, my sense of smell has gotten really strong since I've lost the ability to taste or to eat. Um, I do sometimes have to ask for help with like, is there enough salt in this? Is this sweet enough? But, you know, salt, sour, spicy, um, umami, those, those are like, I'm missing one, but, um, Mm. those are the only actual like flavors that only your tongue can detect as far Mm. as, most of I didn't realize that yeah yeah I'm constantly smelling whatever I'm working on even clay clay has a really delightful smell too (laughs) Mm. and you do a lot of work with clay with your your creations Mm -hmm. what do you like what do you like making most out of clay 
tea sets. Definitely. I, like, I was going to say, that was my guess. You have so many and I love all of them. They are so beautiful. I know that you get a lot of requests for people to buy them, but those are not usually for sale, right? And you typically make all of your wares available to patrons first, to your patrons? Yeah, when I do have something to sell, um, it's just my way of thanking my patrons for their support. I always give them first dibs and that has been a surprisingly... Um, popular uh, option. <laughs> I, I kind of did it as just like a little bonus, like sprinkle on top. But um, it's become like a, a major motivation for some of my patrons, which is really flattering and lovely. Um, but yeah, I don't sell my ceramics at this point. I don't want to put a price tag on them. Um, I spend... A lot of time on each piece, they're highly, highly detailed, very sculptural, and um, they are a huge comfort to me. Um, I actually create all of them from bed. I have Mm -hmm. a hospital-type bed where it's adjustable, so I can sit it up a little bit. And then I have a little overbed table, and everything I make for ceramics, I sculpt from bed. So um, as my health health condition has progressed and I've had to spend more and more time in bed. It's something I can still work on on all but my very worst days. And having something physical to touch and to sculpt and to focus on um, helps a lot with managing the pain and all of the other, you know, crap that comes with a, a chronic condition. So to me, ceramics means a lot more, more than just like production. I'm like very protective of Mm -hmm. my ceramics because I don't want to lose the wonder of creating them. Um, I will say that I, I don't have any plans to keep everything I make. Um, My house is already overflowing. (laughs) I, as much as I love every set I make, I don't have any intention of keeping them. I have other plans for putting them out into the world that I cannot talk about, mm. but they, they will be released. They will find their way to new homes. I'm very excited about the methods by which they will do this. Um, so teasing. And- I'm so excited to hear more as you. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's great. It's great. You often have really beautiful stories or discussions about how nature and the weather and the seasonal shifts affect our lives, our mood, our health, or just the introspection. And what does your winter routine or winter magic look like if you have any that you want to share? My winter magic is quite at odds with kind of the cultural expectations. You know, New Year's Eve it's all about like setting intentions and setting goals and it's very like action oriented start your diet start your exercise regimen do this thing do this thing do this thing go faster but if you look outside everything is still and quiet but it's not dead you know the energy of the plants literally goes down into the roots in the winter and kind of you know moves around underground and you don't see it but it's there and so when spring comes that energy can move back up and out and you know produce new life and so i think of winter as kind of this gentle time to really go inward 
And so January especially is a huge time of introspection for me. Um, I tend to spend a lot of time kind of quietly sitting or meditating with candles lit or um, like practicing lucid dreaming um, or even just journaling, writing about like what in my life feels good and like like it's feeding me and what in my life feels like it's draining me and um whenever it's it's kind of amazing what you can realize about the changes that you need to make in your life when you have time to reflect but i don't think of january as like a time for action Mm. it's a time for that reflection and to really sit with like what what doesn't feel good? What do I want to get rid of? What do I want to change? What do I want to embrace? What do I want to get more of? So rather than setting like New Year's resolutions or goals, I just give myself permission to slow down. And I think that's a very rebellious and difficult thing to do in our culture. But it's so important for my personal like mental and physical well-being. And I think that That's one of those things that we all kind of secretly crave, but maybe nobody talks about because we're worried that we're alone in it, but you're not alone in it. It's completely natural to want that deep rest and that slowness and that introspection. That's what nature's doing. That's what you should be doing. It is okay to let yourself do it. One of my biggest goals through my work, aside from like sharing wonder, is sharing connection. So being able to create community amongst my followers, you know, I don't, I don't think of my followers as followers. I think of them as like part of my group, part of my people, my community, um, but also to, to tie people to the rhythms of nature. Um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I spent my childhood on a fire lookout that was a 40 minute drive from our tiny, tiny town. And then oh my I- gosh. Four mile hike in. <laughs> we were very, very remote. And um, my sister and I grew up as kind of like these feral forest children, <laughs> just playing imaginary games and like nibbling on plants all the time. I mean, we we were we were so <clears throat> and um, throughout my life, whenever I feel disconnected, um Tapping into nature again is something that kind of brings me home to myself. And I think that that is one of those connections that we are all like deeply craving is is feeling connected to the natural world. So that's something that I write about and share about a lot. It's um, a reason that I love foraging is because it helps me to stay in tune with cycles and pay attention to them and spend quiet time out in the woods that feels still feels kind of productive. It's like cheater productive. <laughs> <laughs> like when you feel like you have to be productive, but you want to do something that's really soothing and meditative, go foraging. Yeah. Um, So anyway, yeah, something that is really important to me to communicate through my work and my writing and my speaking and just however I'm showing up that day is that connection to nature and that permission that it gives you to be true to your needs and your desires and 
like to, to realize that what you need and desire are probably reflected right outside your window. Mm, you don't have to look too to see where it's coming from. So what would, so as we wrap up here, what would your advice be to, to our listeners who maybe don't have the, the skills you have to create these magic fairy tale gatherings, but want to bring more magic into their life, want to bring more wonder into their life. Um, what are, like, do you have any ideas of what us mere mortals can do to, to make that magic happen? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is to ask yourself, what kind of magic are you looking for? And is that something that you could create for yourself? Um, you know, whether it's these like magical gatherings that then I was like, oh, I could just do that. Um, what what kind of magic do you want in your life? And I think if you ask that question, then you can start to fill in the gaps of like, how do I get there? And I actually I do have an ebook on my website called Fairy Tale Gatherings. Um, and it is the process that I walk through when I create a gathering. It's not so much like recipes and crafts. It's more um, like a <clears throat> reflective process of how do I how do I create a story around this gathering? How do I set an intention? How do I create like an immersive magical experience and then you fill in the details you don't need to have like handcrafted ceramics or complicated recipes to make something memorable the most important ingredient is intention and whether you use that book or do a totally different way you know everybody works differently having that intention of i want to create something magical today and I'm going to be as specific about it as possible so that I know where I need to go to do it. Um, I think that gets you like 80% of the way there. And you've been able to do all of this while dealing with your chronic illness and all the other life events that most people have, you know, that they were, they we're all dealing with, with the world. <laughs> I know from my chronic illness that it is so hard sometimes to keep going. Like what gets you through the hardest days? What, how do you balance this and how do you manage to stay on top of all your social media posts and create such amazing work uh, through those struggles? Because I, I mean, I don't know what your behind the scenes look like, but from the outside, you seem pretty consistent and pretty, one thing I'm not as consistent on social media. This is my biggest failure as a, <laughs> as a whatever marketer for my work. How, how do you manage that? Well, I think there's kind of two facets to that um one is that i'm not nearly as consistent as it probably appears um i go through intense hyperfixations. i have adhd and i will get intensely hyperfixated on ceramics for a couple of weeks and then it will shift and i will just want to bake all the time all the time and then i will get really into like learning more about photography and it kind of bounces around and um instead of fighting that i've just let it happen so that whatever I'm working on is what I'm excited to be working on that day. And I don't force it. Like if, if the excitement for a project goes away, I put the project away and I say, what am I excited about today? Mm -hmm. And, um, that is like, like taking that, that step to trust was pretty terrifying, but I've been doing this for long enough that I see those cycles and I see that 
everything comes back around that, um, you know, putting my ceramics aside for a couple of weeks because I'm really into baking. It doesn't mean that it's the end of ceramics. doesn't mean that I don't want to work on those projects anymore. It just means I need a break. Um, so I think permission is a huge part of it. And, um, you know, I recognize that I have way more creative freedom than most people um, because of how my work is structured. <clears throat> and I'm supported by patrons who then trust me to create wonder in what way works best for me. So I tell myself, you know, I'm at my best when I'm able to work on what I'm excited about working on and um, that I'm actually being true to the people who are supporting me by being true to my needs. Um, when I do have a day that I can't work, that the pain is too high or I'm overwhelmed, um, and I definitely have those days, um, I give myself permission to not work. And I often keep my sketchbook somewhere nearby because a lot of times when I when I let my brain turn off and I'm not trying to think about anything and I'm not trying to focus on anything, ideas just naturally flow back. Um, it's kind of like you have to just, you have to just shut down for a little bit and reset. Um, so yeah, I have, I have plenty of days where I don't give myself any work to do. And that includes like, I'm not researching a project. I'm not watching um, a documentary that might like inspire something. I'm not, I'm just like watching some dumb show on Netflix <laughs> going down the rabbit hole of like weird <clears throat> or um, I just allow myself to just I, sometimes I think of them as like rabbit hole days, like whatever rabbit hole I feel like diving down, I'm allowed to and sometimes nothing comes of it and sometimes I end up getting super inspired and excited about something new and then when I start physically feeling better I can start to work on that project but I think that um, the more in tune with your own needs and your own body you can be and the more you can give yourself permission to honor that the healthier and happier you'll be in the way that you work and as someone with a very severe and limiting chronic illness, that's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. And I think most people don't have to learn the lesson quite as aggressively as I have. And so they don't because the natural way of our capitalist society is like you're supposed to have the same output every day. You know, consistency is key do the same thing, set up your calendar. This Mondays are for this and Tuesdays are for this and Wednesdays are for this. But that's not really how humans work. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I've been trying to force myself into that like human-like mold doing that for a long time. And it's the the older I get, maybe the, maybe the worse my chronic illness gets or maybe just the more I've done, I'm like moving away from that. Yeah, and I haven't articulated the way you have just now, but that actually really sums up the direction I want to move in with my work and how I create as well, because everything else seems feels so out of balance. Yeah. With like the normal rhythm. Like I noticed I love writing screenplays and working on screenplays in the summer. Like my energy is very mm -hmm. much about like movie making screenplays, scripts and at different parts of the year, 
that's less so and I'm more interested in writing a book or working on an audio thing or, you know, doing something that doesn't require me to think about words. I really want to get more into sculpting or something, not more into into it at all, because I, I've been craving like an art re- outlet that uses my hands and not my words. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that. I love that rhythm that you've created for yourself or that you've let yourself uh, honor, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot easier for me to be productive when I'm just like really excited about whatever I'm doing. You know, if I, I get to wake up and be like, I'm going to work on that tea set today. and I'm really excited about it. Then it doesn't feel like I'm working, you know, like I'm pushing it. And so my, the line between work and play is non-existent for me. Mm. The only things that feel like work are like taxes or, (laughs) you know, like, the actual things that I create, I I don't schedule out my social media posts because if I do that, then I'm not engaged with whatever I'm posting. I've found that for me, I have to post about something I'm excited about so that then when there's a discussion about it, I can pop in and be like, yeah, yeah, I made this. I'm excited to share it. Um, so yeah, the more authentic I can be to like what I'm actually genuinely excited about the easier it is to share my work, to promote my work, to do the work. <laughs> like it, it just, yeah, less resistance just means and like more flow state. Mm, yeah, that is it. Flow state is critical, especially when you're when you have chronic illness or pain. Like finding that finding the activities that you can get into flow state, I think, is life saving. Oh yeah, that's why ceramics is so precious to me. Is it's like. Like, yes, it's part of my, like, quote, work, but it's also absolutely like a coping mechanism for me. It's medicine. I need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is Wild Women. I'm Lex Karpovkinrade, your host. We're talking with Miss Wondersmith, who is just absolutely a magically divine being that has been generous enough to come and share her wonder with us. Would you like to share again where everyone can find you online? Yes. Um, first, thank you so much for having me. This has been a really lovely conversation. Oh, thank I, you. I feel like I'm glowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find me online, misswondersmith.com, patreon.com slash misswondersmith. I am Miss Wondersmith on TikTok and Instagram and The Wondersmith on Facebook. So go check out Miss Wondersmith's work because you will not regret it. Um, and sign up for patreon and let's keep wonder happening in the world because we need more of that thank you so much miss wondersmith thank you have a wonderful day you too You've been listening to Wild Women. I'm your host, Lux Karpov Kinraid, and tonight we talked with the magical Ms. Wondersmith about her unique and wonder-inspired approach to art, creating through chronic illness, and using the winter months to slow down and reflect. Catch the next Wild Women on March 31st at 7 p.m. We air the fifth Friday of the month when there's a fifth Friday. And if you missed any part of our show, you can listen back at our archives at jukebox.kzyx.org or subscribe to KZYX Public Affairs Podcast. The music you've been listening to is Midnight Star, a fantasy instrumental composed by my husband, Dmitry Karpov-Kinraid. You can find his music wherever you listen. Just search for Karpov-Kinraid. Thanks for listening, and I hope your New Year's is full of magic and wonder.
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.